traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I started my presentation stating what I was going to study. The unemployment rate differences between low-skilled and high-skilled workers. I was immediately cut off by a prominent researcher in the field asking, why is that an interesting question? People who are not in the economics world tend to think that we have very aggressive seminars. There's a culture of interrupting and you often hear people make comments about how that's not relevant research or will criticize the assumptions in quite harsh ways. And it can lead to people thinking that they don't want to be in a profession where they have to constantly be defending themselves. Hello, I'm Samaya Keynes, the US economics editor at The Economist, and this is Money Talks. Today, we're looking at Me Too in economics. There is more and more evidence out there that harassment and discrimination are problems in economics, including a new survey published this week. We will hear from people who've been on the inside and the people trying to get change. The headline numbers alone in economics suggest that there might be something iffy going on. It's far behind the other social sciences in terms of gender diversity. There are even some STEM fields where there's been a bit more progress. In economics, women make up around 30% of PhD students. And then that share drops and drops as you get into the more senior ranks. Women seem to find it harder to get into the top universities. And of course, economists are overwhelmingly white. And one big question is whether there is something pushing these underrepresented groups away from the subject. I'm Ava Nachbal, and I am an economist. And I used to be an assistant professor in the economics department at Northwestern. And I've moved on and currently work as an economist at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Ava told me about her experiences within academia. She told me about her first ever presentation at an academic conference when she was in her third year at graduate school, when a prominent male researcher asked her, why is this an interesting question? As I stood there, I understood that he was missing my point. But I did not have the presence of mind to come up with the right comeback. Over time, I learned that this kind of aggressive questioning was quite normal in economics and accepted. And in fact, cherished as a way to defend the intellectual purity of (laughs) the profession. Economists typically go up for promotion or tenure after seven years. Eva told me about how two years into her seven-year process, an economist that she knew would be writing her recommendation letter later on, he told her that she was technically good, but not very creative. I was really surprised that he already made up his mind in a little over two years 
instead of the seven years I thought I was given. I felt I was dismissed. I felt I had important ideas to contribute and they were just thrown to the side. Eva also mentioned to me that she liked her department. That wasn't the problem. She had some really supportive colleagues, in particular an economist called Dale Mortensen. He actually went on to go and win a Nobel Prize in economics. But more generally, in places like economics conferences, she did just feel uncomfortable with the level of aggression and those comments about her creativity felt unfair. She ended up leaving academia in 2009, more than two years before she came up for promotion. Some people have told me that things have improved since the mid-2000s. Others have also told me it's gotten worse. Uh, Clearly, there is a wide range of experiences. I also spoke to Stephanie Kestelman, who is in economics now. She has been working for a couple of years as a research assistant and has actually been applying for economics PhD programs. She's been part of a system where very, very junior people are working with very, very senior people. There are big imbalances of power and sometimes things can go wrong. Stephanie was one of hundreds of research assistants and graduate students who in December wrote a really powerful open letter calling for help from economists. We asked for three things. Number one was that the profession listen to its grad students and research assistants. And not just listen to us in the sense of listen to what we're saying, but also pay attention to the things that we're not saying. So we might have explicit verbal complaints about the seminar culture, but at the same time, we might also just show that we're dissatisfied with the profession by actually leaving the profession. So paying attention to the numbers and the patterns in who leaves the profession or who gets lost in the pipeline are quite important. Second thing we asked for was that we have department-wide, if not profession-wide, codes of conduct on how to engage with graduate students and research assistants. The goal is to set a baseline of how graduate students and faculty and research assistants should interact so that we don't have the problem of people saying, I didn't know that I shouldn't do this or act in ways that are harmful to to certain people because of, of ignorance. And then the third thing was to have a way in which we could report instances of harassment in the profession outside of departmental structures and even within and the goal is to help people connect with other people who might have had problems with the same with the same individuals. Economists do seem to have been responding to these concerns about the climate and in one of the ways that they know best with data. The American Economic Association, or the AEA, which is one of the most powerful voices of, of the economics profession, They've surveyed over 9,000 economists to to try and go beyond the anecdotes and see what people more generally in the profession feel. I asked Ben Bernanke, president of the AEA and former chair of the Federal Reserve, about the new data from the survey. On the survey, uh, we went to many of our members and asked them about their experiences uh, in in economics. And I should say that what we released today is, is still preliminary. We have to do a lot of statistical analysis. We want to compare the results to surveys from other fields, for example, and we also have many qualitative answers we received about personal experiences that we want to analyze. So it's, it's still preliminary. 
But that being said, there clearly were concerning findings, first relating to uh, economics culture and attitudes. Many women, for example, feel that their work is not as valued in economics as that of their male counterparts, and they themselves are, are not treated as respectfully as, as their male counterparts. Secondly, there is at least uh, perceptions, and I'm sure reality, of discrimination. Many women believe that their promotions, their compensation, their publications uh, have been affected by their gender, that they receive less uh, favorable treatment in that respect. And of course, that's a serious problem. And very seriously, a small but meaningful number of women report serious um, uh, harassment, uh, whether it's um, uh, sexist language or even sexual assault, clearly unacceptable and fits into a general feeling that women are not as welcome in economics as they should be. This is all very concerning, both because it's just not fair that women and minorities are not having, don't have the same access, the same benefits of as others in becoming economists and in, in studying economic issues. But it's also, I think, bad for economics because we would benefit from having a greater diversity of voices, from having the talent of half the population that may be dissuaded from becoming economists because they perceive that the field is not welcoming. This survey comes on top of a wave of other evidence that there is bias in economics. It looks like women are held to higher standards than men when they go out for promotion or when they're trying to get their research published in, in journals. When men are given extra time before they go out for promotion because they've had a baby, it looks like they use that extra time to write more papers. And that raises the bar for the women who are actually looking after their babies with that extra time. When it comes to harassment, economics certainly isn't alone in having issues. So that definitely does not excuse the reports in the survey. There are hundreds of cases of attempted or realized sexual assault. My question is, why has it taken economists so long to notice this? I asked Lisa Cook, who is a professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University. I think the first thing is that we didn't have the data. And and this has not been this was not the first time that it was tried. I heard from a number of senior women who said that this wasn't the first time that they've been trying to get a climate survey done by the AEA. And the moment just um, produced itself. So I am glad that we now have the data, but I think that that's the first thing, the first step in any economist taking any action, because if there's no problem, certainly we're going to be the last to speculate and uh, to guess what we should be doing. So we have the data now. And I think economists in particular of all the social sciences I've encountered are particularly squeamish about talking about gender differences and uh, racial differences. Historically, the AEA has said that it's a small, bare-bones organisation. Beyond the committees it has to measure and, and look at diversity, it just doesn't have the capacity to do very much about this. But now, they do really seem to be trying. Ben Bernanke, again. Well, the American Economic Association has decided that it's very important for us to, to take strong measures to change the perception of economics, to, to make it more welcoming 
uh, and supportive of women and minorities in the field. First, we were taking a number of steps to try to address the problems uh, perceived and actual of harassment discrimination. We created a code of conduct which emphasizes the importance of allowing everyone to participate freely and effectively in economics discussions and research. We've added a policy which prohibits any type of harassment discrimination and make that acceptance of that code of conduct and the policy on harassment discrimination a precondition for participating in any economics or AEA-sponsored activity or committee. To enforce these rules, we've, uh, we are contracting with an ombudsperson. Uh, it's a lawyer who will uh, hear complaints, hear concerns, follow up as necessary, and keep permanent records of any uh, complaints that are, that are registered. And we will uh, have a formal policy of vetting people who want to be part of the leadership of the AEA or who are eligible for awards and honors. So we are, first of all, going to try very hard to push back on the discrimination and harassment that's been reported by some women and minorities in the field. On the other side, we also want to make it more attractive to the women and minorities to come into economics, and we hope by doing that that we can address some of our pipeline problem and get more women and minorities into economics at an early stage. Returning to Professor Lisa Cook, I asked what more needs to be done. I think the first thing is awareness. I think that there is a bit of surprise and and shock uh, among colleagues with respect to these numbers, with respect to the share of women who have encountered this kind of harassment. So I think that's the first thing is, is awareness. And then I think that individual departments have to be proactive in taking these, these suggestions seriously and coming up with uh, systematic ways to address uh, diversity issues. Certainly getting rid of barriers, uh, say more uh, friendly family leave, Uh, policies, maternity leave policies that don't uh, discriminate against women. We've seen the recent evidence about uh, paternity versus maternity leave uh, that actually disadvantages women. So uh, the more we learn, I think the more we can do. And now chairs can be more proactive. All these efforts to gather more evidence to help people who have been affected by harassment, to think about the climate They're all worth doing. But it's also important to be realistic about how complicated all of this is. Eva Najipal clearly did not enjoy the environment. I asked her why she left. I've grown really unhappy and I felt like in order to deal with the environment, I had to become really tough. In fact, I know I've been characterized many times as tough as nails. And for economists, that's a compliment. But for me, it was always bittersweet because if, when you become tough as nails as a woman, it turns out you kind of turn off people. <laughs> and, and including the, the very people who do the aggressive questioning, by the way. And so I didn't have that many co-authoring relationships. It didn't, it wasn't fun anymore. I just felt like the questioning of my creativity just kind of sapped the actual creativity that I was supposed to have. Like, academia for me was lonely. And there were many other things. Like, there's a thing about 
creating a family that we hoped to have, which ended up being more difficult than, you know, my husband and I envisioned. I also came to the conclusion that I, I would be happier in a more collaborative uh, environment, focusing on more short-term impact. Remember, Eva did have some colleagues who she found really supportive, like Dale Mortensen. I asked her if she would have stayed had there been more people like him. The simple answer is, I don't know. You know, I, we still would have had the same uh, challenges about having a family. I may have still arrived at the same conclusion that I would be happier in a policy-oriented, collaborative space. But I may not have. I don't know. It would have been nice to be able to try. I should also say that there is a huge amount of hope and positivity out there. Thinking of Stephanie Kesterman, she got PhD offers from 14 universities, including Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, and Berkeley. So clearly there are some great success stories. None of the comments that were made throughout my path were that successful at taking me away from it. I think I like it too much. And I think that's a question that a lot of people have been asking themselves. Who survives and no, what keeps them going? I'll say I think for me, it has been having really good mentors, people who genuinely care about me and my research, and having really good peers. I think there's a very strong network of women in economics who support each other. And I think... There's a lot of gratitude for those people, and I think a lot of people in my generation of, of future economists are trying to do the same thing for the people coming behind us. The upside of all of this, if there is change, is that more people will be able to do the economics that they like so much. And then hopefully we'll all benefit, because the marketplace for ideas will be that bit more competitive. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to read more, you can subscribe at economist.com slash radio offer. 12 issues for £12 or dollars. I'm Samaya Keynes in Washington, D.C. This is The Economist. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,